Just kidding. I'm so sorry. I said that I love all of our listeners. I'm Rachel Jarofsky. I'm Cody Wilkins. And you are tuned in to yet another episode of Ain't Nobody Checking For Me Pod. Thank you for pushing back against the title. Welcome. Rachel, how are you? I'm great. I'm so filled with remorse that I even joked about calling our listeners stupid. I'm in love with each and every one of you. Cody, how are you? I'm doing well. I, I, I'm doing well. I'm excited. Uh, because I'm being checked for right oh now. Oh my God. Ring ding yeah. dong. Ring I, ding 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 dong. Tell. I'm being Tell checked all. for. I have been getting emailed like at least every other day and like notifications popping up from Uber Eats because I was a bold man on Sunday and I used Uber Eats for like the first time in ever. Uh, and now they just are like a, like a hookup who just got the wrong message after right. you left, you know? Mm-hmm. They're just like, oh, hey, do you want to maybe like go go get ramen or like maybe I could bring you pizza or I mean, I guess I know you're gluten free. Do you maybe I guess we could do salad like anytime. Like, look, I'll do it for like 40 percent off. I'll come. I'll just come. It'll be fine. And and they I should have told them that I really could only afford the, the one plate the one right. time. You're like, I'm too broke, baby. Yeah, I'm too broke. That was a playoff on Carol King's It's Too Late Baby. If we got any Carol King heads in the house. Shazam it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> Rachel, who's checking for you? Okay, actually, my coworkers are checking for me. As you know, I'm a Jewish jester at a number of Jewish establishments around the greater tri-state area, and I just have to keep it that vague because I am in a labor dispute uh, currently. I accidentally unionize my part-time workplace. Fire me, bosses! That's what they want to do. I am the great value Norma Ray in this bitch. I... Uh, being the regular rabble rouser I am, I kind of got my coworkers riled up about some conditions we didn't love. And now they're definitely like, you know, looking to me as their fearless leader to collectively bargain for the group, you know? Uh, and I'm like, I don't want this responsibility, but it's too late, baby. Now it's too late. Um, Ooh, Daisy, strength in numbers. Now we have a leader. Look at you. So yeah, catch me singing hella union anthems, uh, while also unemployed because retaliation is real. But, uh, Cody question for you, who is it that you are checking for? Well, because of the whole situation with Uber Eats, I realized it's time for me to make some life changes. And now I am checking for the top tickers in the stock market. I mean, I got to get financially illiterate one way or another. Yeah. You know, I, I'm i down to, I'm scratching the back of my brain for jokes that just aren't selling. I got to get on the internet and, and Google what is a stock option. Mm-hmm. And is it a drop-down menu, or will I have to know before I come in ready? I just, you know, so I'm I'm actually doing my best to, I watched a YouTube video today, it was 27 minutes long, on the ABCs of the stock market. So that's, that's where I got my eyes these days. That's amazing. I hear if you just put on a suit enough mornings in a row that the money just kind of knocks on your door, you know what I mean? I hear that. I just, I want to be able to make money in my sleep. 
Right. You know, and I don't want to have to sleep in a suit. All right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Speaking of sleeping, uh, that is exactly uh, who I'm checking for. I am checking for sleep, the verb. I'm actually uh, really exhausted, uh, been on the road, road tripping, driving, room, room. Speaking of uh, wanting to get paid for passively doing things, I wish I could have gotten paid for every hour I spent driving um, Mm. these last few days. Uh, even if it was a, a dollar per hour, I would take that $12 and, uh, buy a poke bowl. So I am, uh, checking for a little bit of rest, but I'm not trying to rest yet. Okay. Because the next guest that we're about to have on ain't nobody checking for me gets me too amped to fall into slumber. We up, we out. We'll be right back with the guest with some clout. Here, here we are, and just like promised, we got the we got the guest of the year right here in the virtual studio. Cody, uh, let the cat out of the bag. Who is with us? I'm so excited to have my boy, my comedy day one here with us. Uh, he is now a filmmaker based in Brooklyn, a director, uh, a videographer, my man shoots documentaries, uh, music videos, commercials, and is an all-around very nice white man. Ladies and gentlemen, Ben Bolt. Ben, how are you? What's up, Cody? Hey, Rachel. Hey, Ben. Ben, we only um, we only uh, point out that you're white because we don't have many white guests. I believe our only two white guests have been you and my dad. Yes. Is that right, Cody? That is correct. Wow, what great company to be keeping. <laughs> um, wow, Ben, thanks for making the time. How how are you how are you been today and in this in this crazy lifetime we're living in? Oh man, I've been up in um I've been up in Massachusetts since March, staying with my mom. Uh I went from living a fairly adult lifestyle in New York City uh as a freelance filmmaker to uh living at home. Uh and it's been awesome. Uh, quite frankly, I don't know that I even want to go back. I get that. I get that. As someone who just made uh, the drive back to New York from my home in Chicago today, it was very, uh, very difficult to unlatch from the teat that is uh, my parents' home. So Ben, even if you're, you know, you're kind of chillaxing, you're, t- you're kicking back, you got your feet up at home, you are... Uh, a one-stop shop filmmaking man. Um, And uh, I guess my first question for you, I imagine that you're on set a lot, uh, maybe less so in the pandemic world, although maybe not less so in the pandemic world. How do you feel checked for on set? Well, the way I feel checked for is when people who know that I'm a filmmaker come to me with an idea especially people who aren't really in the film game who are like, Ben's the guy. And I have this thing that I've just someone in the film world needs to know about. And I'm going to take it to Ben. That's actually what happened with the blue wall documentary. It was a friend who's not really in the filmmaking game. Uh, met this guy who had an incredible story and hit me up. Cause he's like, I know Ben could do it right. Well, wait, wait, 
can you tell us about the the Blue Wall documentary? Now that Absolutely. About- Absolutely. Uh, so I just released a uh, short documentary uh, called Beyond the Blue Wall, and it is about a former homicide detective named Ken Williams, who's um, also in Massachusetts, uh, and he decided to help a citizen um, in the city of Brockton to file a complaint against one of his fellow officers for racist misconduct and wrongful arrest. Uh, And the documentary uh, goes into Ken's decision to break rank with the police officers and to kind of do what's right. And we learn what consequences he suffered as a result of that decision. For the sake of the listeners, so you definitely go check out Beyond the Blue Wall. I, I checked it out, you know, obviously because Ben is the homie, but it, w- it was great stuff. And, and Ben, my question to you is: when someone comes to you with this idea, with this story, as you know, Ben, the filmmaker, in your wizard robe with your camera in hand, you know, what I'm saying, in your boomstick staff, where do you start that process when someone comes to you with this seed? Where do you go to begin that? Yeah, I think when you're when you're known as a film person, a lot of people come to you with ideas. Um, you know, sometimes you'll have some comedy friends that want to make a promo for a show that they're going to do. And they'll say, uh, you know, we got this crazy good idea. You should totally film with us. And you're like, I know these people are awesome and legit, so I'm definitely going to do that. But then there's a pandemic and the show gets canceled and that promo never happens. That's just that happened thing. to us. <laughs> uh, but a lot of times you get people who come to you and say, uh, oh, I got like this cool music video idea. We could have like cars and a race and like an action scene. And you're like, cool, cool. Where's the budget? And, uh, you know, that usually is where those conversations end. There's usually a kernel of a, an idea. And then you have like the reality of what it actually takes to make a film, uh, which is very, very expensive and labor intensive. And you kind of got to figure out where those two things meet up. Is the is the kernel and the idea, uh, is there enough there to really explore the kind of annoying reality side of things. Um, you don't want to like say no right off the bat, but a lot of times that's the equation that goes on in my head right away. Now for Beyond the Blue Wall, when your friend approached you with this like amazing story, how much of the process was already paved out? Um, and Or was it a situation where you're like, oh man, I fucking love this idea, but I'm going to really have to scrap on by to make it happen? Or was it some sort of like combination of the two? I think with this documentary, you know, we, we started making it in June uh, when Black Lives Matter was basically all that existed in the entire world. Somehow the pandemic became second page news. And uh, I think a lot of people had a lot of uh, passion at that time to really channel their time and their dedication into something that they just felt like could help in some way or or like just I think a lot of people, frankly, felt like they didn't know what to do, um, especially as I can speak for all white people. A lot of white people felt like they didn't know what to do. Um, there, you go. there you go. Take responsibility <laughs> for yours. man. And um, this was a case where um, I played on that guilt in order to assemble a crack team of um, filmmakers and collaborators who just to, chose to make this film for us uh, with no budget. Um, we really got the team together based on the the you know the the mission and the message and the belief that Ken's story was important to tell. And we got some amazing collaborators. Like we have uh, we had an editor, a colorist, an animator, a sound a music composer, a sound mixer. Uh, we had a you know a crew to actually record and film the thing. Um, and we made the whole thing for like three hundred bucks. 
That's wild. That's that white guilt labor. There it is. Cash it in. I know it well. I was Venmoing every organization I learned about with <laughs> back in June. Shout out that unemployment money. That's all gone now. There you go. Look, you guys got to use your powers for good. That's what we love to hear. Now, Ben, I, th- I listened to that story and especially the part where you say you pulled together this, you know, ace team of all these different people and positions who I'm sure you've come to meet over your kind of networking time working. But, and this is kind of a different version of Rachel's question. When you're on set, like early days, trying to get your filmmaking feet in the game and you're a PA or you're a boom operator, or you're just the guy who puts the tape down on the floor, you know, how do you, and how did you in those ways stand out? And then how do you make sure, is it just like, don't fuck up and you'll be fine? Or is there a way to be outstanding? First of all, I'd just like to acknowledge that you uh, added the guy who puts the tape on the floor as the lowest rung of that ladder. And that is, in fact, a significant upgrade from being a PA. Um, that it wasn't a ladder. Years, I don't it know years to become the guy who puts the tape down on the floor. Hey, I, don't, um, I, don't, I wouldn't pretend to know a thing. What is that, a gaff, the gaffer? Is that the that gaffer? Would be, that would be a second AC. Second oh, shit. The tape's very important. I, that that was in no order of importance because I don't know. I'm ignorant to it. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, film is a really tricky business kind of for that reason you just touched on. It's, it's, there's no degree. There's no one way into the industry. There's not even a particular path to any position. You know, you see cinematographers who were gaffers. You see directors who were hair and makeup stylists. It's like... It, it could come from anywhere. Um, I think when you're when you're first starting out, the thing that was really helpful for me was like there was a period when I had my film degree, um, but I didn't really know anything that went on on a real set. And to get the experience that I needed to like move my way up from that PA position to more more responsibility, it was it was all about finding a mentor. Um, and with with that, you basically just need to become indispensable to somebody who really has that knowledge and uh can give you the access to those sets where you want to learn i mean just learning how a set works is a huge part of of uh becoming a filmmaker no matter what you want to do i sort of have this theory that you know i'm as a director i want to understand every role on set so that i know what i'm asking people to do um and i've made my way to the directing role through the camera department but also trying out different departments just so i have kind of a sense of what all these people on set do but I've also seen people who don't bother with that shit at all. And they're like, no, I'm a fucking director. I'm not bothering with camera department or any of that. I'm making my own films from day one. And there's, you can be successful that way too. There's just no one way into it. Well, why haven't you taken the path of those other straight white men? <laughs> those seem like the folks who'd be able to, to make that jump. Well, I think it all comes back to white guilt. And uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I wanted to feel like I had earned my stripes and gotten enough people their really fancy coffee drinks. Um, yeah, I think, I think for me it was like, I wanted to, I wanted to like set feels like magic to me. Like being on, being on a film set is it's this super complicated and like really crazy collaborative thing. Like that you have all these departments working hand in hand at the same time, you have people directing them. I just wanted to learn how that was all happening and getting on set seemed like the way to do it. 
It's true. I mean, it truly is movie magic. I was, I've been on my fair share of sets as an actress, uh, especially back in college, did a lot of student films. I feel like I spent the bulk of my time on set telling the camera person, don't touch my titty, you know, all that, all of that slip this down your, sh and I'm like, <laughs> do not touch my titty. Okay. Uh, you know, that's kind of, there's no question in that. That's sort of just a statement on being a woman on set. Um, no, but I think that there's a lot of ways in my understanding of, of being on set to kind of like scrap by, like there's like some scrappy ass positions within the pecking order. Um, have you always sort of at your scrappiest before you are, you know, Ben, the checked for people are sending you their A1 ideas left and right. Um, was there a time where film didn't even sort of like allow you to make that, you know, uh, rent payment? And were there any other ways that you've had to like scrap by simultaneously to supplement the film dream? A hundred percent. First of all, I resent the idea that I am now checked for because I just made my <laughs> most recent film for $300 and I have no idea what to do with it now. Um, it's, an in, it's an insatiable <laughs> feeling, Ben. We actually, we had Beyonce on last week. She told, no. Uh, <laughs> if you have a blue check mark, you're checked for. Um, yeah, at the beginning, it was just a nightmare trying to get, trying to get established in film. I moved to New York. As a, I mean, it's freelance too, so it's really hard to get a job, you know, a, a nine to five on film sets. That's just not how it works, um, unless you go this really particular union route. And even getting into that is is its own minefield. Um, but most people start out trying to PA, trying to get on any set that'll have them. Just trying to. A lot of people work for free. A lot of people work for lunch. A lot of people work just to meet somebody or try out a new piece of technology, um, so you can kind of add it to your repertoire. But yeah, there was a period I PA'd on a movie where I was working on a 14-hour shift for $145 a day. I was driving the electric truck, which I had no business driving, through New York. From I'd have to bike to from my apartment in Williamsburg down to Park Slope every morning before the sun came up to get to a lot where I picked up a 17-foot cube truck, which I would drive to Queens to arrive an hour before anybody else on set got there, work 14 hours, and then do that in reverse, get three hours of sleep, do that six days a week for couple months like it sucks and it wasn't even enough to afford the Williamsburg apartment so uh, yeah I think that that's 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 true it's a reality that you're not going to be able to hit the ground so, like running and I think that's a place where it's actually important to acknowledge I do have some privilege and I was able to uh, you know have a runway to not need to support myself right away um, and I had support and and uh, was able to get my foot in the door that way and now I, now I have enough work and uh, even through the pandemic, I've been fortunate enough to, to make it work. Um, but it's really tough to start out and I don't want to pretend that it isn't. Um, I'm curious, you know, you say you don't necessarily, I mean, not a lot of us necessarily feel checked for today. Uh, but, you know, you're working now, uh, you're, you're in the strides of your career. When, I suppose, was the last, if there was an acute time or when was the last time you really thought to yourself that you didn't feel checked for and how in that time period, whether it was a, a day or a handful of them, uh, did you stay resilient? Yeah, I do think like even people who are verifiably checked for in the film industry feel unchecked for on a daily basis. I think that's just part of the 
mentality and like the fluctuation of it. Even if you have a lot of success, you know, I, I created this film, The Blue Wall, and then I had all this energy and inertia and I was reaching out, getting great feedback. And then I submitted it to Short of the Week and got rejected. And I was like, oh shit, like my movie sucks. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> it's always the what next, what next feeling. Yeah. So like every day, I, I don't, I don't think there's a, there's been a period of just sustained like satisfaction and, and security. Um, I think it's nice to practice a little bit of mindfulness and think five years ago, if I could see where I was now, what would I think? And I think I'd be pretty happy that I stuck with it and that I've, you know, I have moved up the camera department. Um, I, I think one of the big transitions I've been making in the last like year or two is transitioning away from more technical jobs and into more creative ones. Um, in the camera department in particular, that looks like going from a camera assistant to a camera operator for me. Um, a camera assistant, super technical, batteries, lenses, camera carts, camera reports, all that stuff. Camera operators, you got the camera on your shoulder, you're deciding what's in the shot. Yeah. We talk about that insatiability for checkery on almost every episode with every guest. And we have like guests of all trades. Um and yeah, I mean, you would think that just making a fucking film would be enough. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's like Dianu Passover's got that. Now, I can't believe I'm getting into this, but it's coming out of my mouth and I can't stop it. During Passover, there's this idea of Dianu. It's enough. You know, they sent the one plague enough. They sent the second plague enough. Nate, you can cut all this out. Uh, Wait, I love this. Wait, <laughs> Dianu? Wait, enough? So it's this Hebrew word, Dianu, which means enough. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Passover story, but it's like God allegedly sends all these plagues to get Pharaoh to let the Jews go. And it's like the locusts would have been enough, but no, God clapped back with the fucking slaying of the firstborn son. You know what I mean? <laughs> So you sing the song, die, die, yay, new, die, die, yay, new, whatever. But the whole concept is like this, this exercise in gratitude. Cause it's like, it would have already been enough. Like that people want, were seeking you out for like, you know, your filmmaking skills. But then you got this specific idea that was like that much cooler. And you were, you know, and you made this amazing film. Like it's already enough that like you made this awesome film, but as a human being, you can't help but want like, damn, I am trying to get short of the week. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so I guess my question is like right now and and sort of like being a creator in the pandemic, um, in, a, in this moment of pandemic, in this very strange moment, and, and you have this finished piece, um, how do you sort of like allow yourself both pause, the necessary pause that a lot of us are having to allow for ourselves, but also sort of be plotting and scheming on like what you would want to be doing next with um, uh, with the movie. Yeah, totally. Um, and in some ways, the pandemic has been a really good thing for me creatively, uh, because before this, I was working, I think 2019 was like by far the busiest year I've had um, on film sets. I'm, by all accounts, feeling pretty good about it, traveling it's turning down jobs, but it's it's very hard to to make that transition away from that technical stuff I was describing before because that's what you're known for and that's what producers mostly hire you for. So when a idea you just you don't have that unstructured free time to like work on the side projects and and your own stuff. And when the pandemic hit, stuff completely shut down in March, uh, and I basically had nothing to do. I mean, as a freelancer, you like 
you depend on 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 the set work. There's no remote work um, for filmmakers really, and that's where I kind of got into this place where I started thinking about a production company that I wanted to start. And then my friend came to me with this idea about Ken and I had the, the free time and the energy to focus on it. Um, so in that way, the pandemic was actually pretty great. Like this is probably the thing I'm the most proud of that I've made as a filmmaker and it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for the pandemic. Um, and you guys shot it back, like when all the, I mean, in the pandemic when everything was on and popping. Yeah, we shot it with a super micro crew. Uh, I think there was only two of us there, just me and the sound recordist. So I was like uh, directing, operating the camera, asking the questions, and doing all the B-roll filming as well. I think one of the, the more important things that I've like established over the last few years is like just a really good network of filmmakers to talk to and lean on and ask for advice from. And I hit up a friend who had also had a successful short film or who had had a successful short film um recently and asked him what his rollout strategy was because he did it pretty solo grassroots without a lot of support as well um and took notes on his his strategy of releasing first to people you know who have some sort of following and uh then to use the views that you got off that to submit to uh small you know out outlets and websites and yada 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 but to kind of roll it out gradually rather than just trying to shoot the moon and losing all your energy right away. So like yeah. right now we're in the phase where I'm hitting up all my friends who have podcasts and asking if I can come on and talk about hey. it. <laughs> Absolutely. Finesse, finesse, finesse. Gotta do what you gotta do. I mean, if you're not out there, nobody can check for you, you know? Exactly. And it's fun to just talk to you guys, you know? It's dumb that we have to have the excuse to talk about business. Right. <laughs> the last time... Last time you and I talked about business, Ben, I think we were trying to figure out if we were going to sell all $1, all like 52 $1 tickets to a show in a small theater (laughs) where everyone pretty much knew us. And all you had to do was change your voice and shake your shoulders to make people (laughs) laugh. Like, man, college comedy, just such a low, low bar. Hey, fifty-two $1 tickets, that's how you sell out. All right. (laughs) That's it. And we did. You know. To that point, though, Ben, you talked about getting so caught up in making the thing that you're not thinking about what to do next with it. But to me, that sounds like the same pattern of mindfulness that you kind of talk about to help you get through the dry periods, right? If you're being mindful about what you're creating in the moment, it's probably going to be a bit better than if, you know, you're making it with an eye on what to do next. Yeah. Right? There's a food analogy in there, but I can't make much more than oatmeal. Yeah, I think that's I think that's definitely right. I feel like one of the things I'm becoming aware of that I need in my life is like a core team of people um, who are like really trusted collaborators who specialize in this stuff that I just I don't have any interest in. I don't have any expertise in. And like you really need to have to make a successful film like the distribution and rollout side of things is I mean, there's a reason that major feature films spend about as much money marketing as they do making the film. Like, it's important. And it's just a lot to do as a single person to, like, go from the kernel of the idea to producing the whole shoot to having creative input on it as well, working with all the post-production and then knowing what to do with it afterwards. Like, people do it, but I think one of the one of the lessons I've learned as a filmmaker in the last few years is, like, the more you can outsource your work to people who really specialize in that thing 
and are better at it than you are, the better the thing is going to be. That's why I was so excited to work with an editor and a colorist and an animator and a sound mixer and a music composer and all that stuff. Because like those people do that stuff way better than I do it. And to be able to hand that off, not only gives me more time to focus on the creative, but it ends up making the piece much better. I just feel like I need that that person for the release, the marketing side of things too. Your point is well taken. I think we've spoken with a number of people who like talk about their crew, their squad, um, kind of being the folks that like come up with them and help them to ascend um, to, in your case, you know, fucking the, the fucking Academy Awards, you know what I mean? Or I'm like, what is <laughs> uh, the Grammys was in my brain. I was like, not, nah, it's not the one. This makes me actually, okay. Thank you. An additional question. Ben, you got a chance to work with this amazing colorist and this amazing editor and all these amazing people. And we asked you about what you could do to be more checked for. But I guess now the question is, what are you checking for in your onset colleagues when you're working that makes you keep them in mind to put together something like this film the way you did? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, reliability is like the number one thing. I just I just did a, a additional project where I had to hire an editor for a quick turnaround. And I was like interviewing with a couple editors who looked promising. But there was one person who like responded to my emails instantly, answered every fucking question that I had in like just didn't let shit slip through the cracks. And I people who are on it, that's just the thing I like the most. Whatever your whatever your specialty is, people who are just on it, they have their workflow down. They're thinking about stuff that you're not even thinking about. Like that's when I see that, I'm like, sign me up for that working relationship. People who are like awesome at their creative side of things, but don't really have a a, a handle on it, I it's a red flag for me for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As I'm putting, I'm staking my reputation on them being able to follow through. And if I get the sense that there's any kind of red flag there, it's it's hard for me to sign up. Yeah, I feel like, um, I, I mean, yeah, just like the ability to call a bitch back on time is like <laughs> <laughs> that alone might get you hired. Um, no, it's very true. Reliability is key. I think a question I have that I feel relates to this, um, just in terms of like assembling your go-tos for working on a project, a lot of a lot of people a complaint is made that made that like film can oftentimes be a boys' club. Um and I went to NYU and was friends with some film students, and I think mostly um female film students, and their biggest complaint was like, damn, it's like all the boys buy cameras and then they all use each other's cameras and then they all work on each other's sets. And, and the girls are just sort of like, Hey, you know, put me in coach, uh, which is now I've managed to use put me in coach in just about every podcast, um, that we've recorded. But, but, uh, I guess speak a little bit to that. Like, is, do you feel that boys club nature? Like when you're, when you're working on sets? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I, I'd, I'd like to say that I've, noticed a lot more female representation especially in the camera department um in the sets that i work on um but i don't want to just like steamroll over that and say like nah it's fine there's ladies here like uh that's it's a legit disparity i think i think it's good that it's being called out more um and i i think you know i've seen i've seen film sets that 
require their whole camera department be female like in order to try to combat that hiring tendency. But it's true. And I think it's true even beyond just the boys club thing. I think, um, like I said, I was fortunate enough to have support when I was first getting into the, the film game and like people who don't have that might not be able to just hack it for a year at the beginning where they're not making enough money to support themselves. Um, and because of that, they might not get on like the set where they meet the mentor person. Like film is all about these kind of magical little like unexpected connections. Um, and if you're not set up with the, the, I don't know, the privilege or the, just the, the good fortune to be exposed to that, whether it's because you're a woman and you've been sort of pushed and, you know, shouldered out of that, that role or because, uh, you, you've never seen people like you for whatever, you know, whether it's skin color or right. whatever, um, doing those jobs. I think there's probably a lot of people that feel like it's not their, their community and their profession and, and don't, uh, stick around. But I think what I've been heartened by is that the people who I do know, the, the women who've stuck around and the, uh, like underrepresented communities, I think they're very welcomed on set. Uh, I think there's a, there's a sense of camaraderie among especially female camera people. Uh, mm-hmm. They really celebrate each other and they're always posting, you know, pictures of each other and film, female filmmaker Fridays is a, an Instagram handle that you'll see out there. I did not know about that. <laughs> um, so there's definitely, there's pride and there's support in the community, but I think there's probably still a lot of people that look at it and see it as a little bit too intimidating. And I think that's probably something to still work on. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. Well, Ben, we asked this question to everyone, uh, and I'm curious that you've, you've all, I don't think that you can get it wrong, so there's no stress here. There's no right answer. Uh, but I'm curious to hear who you're checking for these days. Uh, I'm checking for my girlfriend, Gabby, who okay. has amazingly um, spent this, she, she came up to Massachusetts with me in March, and since we've been here, she has gotten a raise, a promotion, uh, a new job where she was offered two different jobs at the company of her dream and had to turn okay. one down. Okay. She came along with another promotion and raise. Um, okay. And has accomplished all that in a time period when uh, a lot of people are tempering their expectations. Um, she okay. got a raise. She got a raise. She got a promotion. She fuck around, go get a new man. Like, she just upgrade. Leave it to Ben Bolt to turn who are you checking for into an opportunity to cake. You know what I mean? <laughs> He did it. He cracked it. We love to see it. And Ben, I think I know the answer to this, but just so we're crystal clear, what do you want folks checking for from you? I would like people to check bluewallfilm.com for me. Uh, You can see the whole film. You can see ways that you can help spread the word uh, by sharing on social media. And we also have a uh, fundraiser on there to help us raise money that's going to go towards film festival fees and sponsored posts on uh, social media platforms. Uh, as we said, we made the film for about $300, so every dollar counts. Uh, and I really hope you will check bluewallfilm.com. Listen to the man. Check out Blue Wall. It's the short to see, short in length, but long in fucking how hard. good is it? Long. Long and hard. Long and hard. <laughs> I you can... better there, Rachel. Oh, man. You know what? The beauty is we can just act like I never said it with a quick wave of the editing tool. Guys, 
This has been Ain't Nobody Checking For Me Pod. I'm Rachel Jarofsky. I'm Cody Wilkins. This has been Mr. Ben Bolt. Thank you, Ben, for coming on. Thank you for having me. And we're out. Checking for me. Checking for me. Checking for me. Checking for me.